0: Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. I want to read two scriptures today. I know someone may be reading and saying, well, Pastor, what happened to the identity statement? No. If you don't know who you are by now, if you're not clear that we ought to live the lives we are created to live and love beyond the limits of our prejudices and serve then we are doing the carpenter no justice. I want to lift two scriptures today. The first found in the book of 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter. 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 through 10, in the New Revised Standard Version it reads like this. These are the names of the warriors whom David had. Joshab, ba Sheba, A Tachmanite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Next to him among the three warriors was Eleazar son of Dodah, son of Eohai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. The Israelites withdrew. With Eleazar, he stood his ground. He struck down the Philistines until his arm grew weary, though his hand clung to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Then the people came back to him with only to strip the dead. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah 8, verses 18 through 20. I will read from the New Revised Standard Version and the Message Bible. Jeremiah 8, 18 through 20. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The Message Bible, it reads a little differently. Again, Jeremiah 8, 18 through 20. I drown in grief. I'm heart sick. Oh, listen. Please listen. It's the cry of my dear people reverberating through the country. Is God no longer in Zion? Has the king gone away? Can you tell me? why they flaunt their plaything gods, their silly, important, no gods before me. The crops are in. The summer is over. But for us, nothing has changed. Let's pray. God, we thank you on this day. And we honor you, O oh God, for how you still call men and women to stand strong and stand firm in the midst of the brokenness of this world. The amazing thing, oh God. It's not that you are still present. The amazing thing is that you still trust us. You trust us to heal the nation. You trust us to mend those who are broken. You trust us to do the work, to do justice and love mercy and walk with you God in this season remind us that the work and the journey is not over what is that work O oh God we are the ones who will bring the bomb to Gilead we are the ones who will bear who will be the restorers of the breach we are the ones who will make the crooked roads straight and the rough roads plain you trust us to do that and do it we will we love you God We honor you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to read the Jeremiah passage again in both versions. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And Message Bible, I drown in grief. I'm heart sick. Oh, listen. Please listen. It's the cry of my dear people reverberating through the country. Is God no longer in Zion? Has the king gone away? Can you tell me why they flaunt their plaything gods, their silly, important, no gods before me? The crops are in. The summer is over. But for us, nothing has changed. Today, I want to speak briefly from the subject, and we are not saved. We are not saved. I used to always wonder why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. I thought that Jeremiah's weeping and mourning and agony and heaviness was connected to the fact that for 20 years almost, Jeremiah preached, warning the people of what doom would come their way. And in those 20 years of preaching, wailing, shouting, warning, not one person was converted by Jeremiah's words. I thought that Jeremiah's tears a result that somehow he wasn't able to convince or convert anyone by the word that God had placed in him and on him. But that's not why Jeremiah was weeping. Maybe Jeremiah was weeping For the same reasons I weep, and many of you weep, not because there was no converse to the word, not because there was no one who was saved by the message, but because every day somehow God had attuned Jeremiah's ears to the weeping to the mourning, to the groaning of God's people. God had fixed his ears so that it was impossible for Jeremiah to walk the streets and not hear the cries of hungry babies and not feel the pain of fatherless children and not feel the agony of people who profess to know God, but their lives and their treatment of one another did not demonstrate that. He was weeping because he was human. He was weeping because he was mourning. Not the death of individuals, but the death of a way of life that God had been seeking to lead his people into. Those words in Jeremiah are words of deep agony and deep misery. It is the kind of agony and the kind of misery that even as the passage said, that people begin to cry out, where is the King of Zion? Where is God in the midst of all the insanity and the brutality and the meanness and the division? Why would Jeremiah weep? But why wouldn't he weep? And why would we not weep? Weep when people have found a way to commodify divisiveness and make money off of misery and grow rich off of brutality. Why would we not weep? Why would we not mourn? Why aren't we weeping? Why aren't we mourning? Why is our soul not vexed and our spirit disquieted? And we see the baseness of our humanity being glorified. Where we see the construction Of, as the message Bible said, plaything gods. When instead of trusting, we've learned to put our hope in things that perish, in spaces that deplete, and in people who diminish. No. While you watch this sermon now, on Sunday, and maybe the one you wanted to be president, that many of us want to be president, Maybe that person is the president-elect. But I need to caution you. Because we are still not saved. No matter who occupies the White House, in this country right now, there are children who will go to bed tonight hungry. We are not saved. Right now. There are families who do not know where they will sleep tonight. And we are not saved. We celebrate the first African-American woman to be vice president. And still, women are treated as second-class citizens. Still, women are not paid the same as men. Still, black women are brutalized and ignored and demeaned. We are not saved. It is mourning time in this country. And I know we want to celebrate because we think the king is gone. No, no. As long as there are still children dying foolishly and as long as there are people who are profiting off the pain of others and as long as there's still people who are judging others by the color of their skin and as long as in the wealthiest country in the world the poverty rates are sky high homelessness still high joblessness still high we are on the brink of a depression economic collapse we are not saved. And so I caution you today, before we celebrate the new person who will sit behind the resolute desk, look at our country. Look at what has happened. We have not progressed. We have witnessed a great regression we are not saved. The question becomes, well then who will save us? It is not a difficult question to answer. The scriptures show us, what do they show us? That in times of human conflict, When God's people have strayed, when humanity has fallen, God raises up men and women who will seek to right the injustice, who will seek to speak truth to power, who will not look outward or look to Washington, but who will look in the mirror and say, if not me, who And if not now, when? This is a moment where you and I must answer the clarion call. We must begin to realize those of us who claim to follow the carpenter, the model is in front of us, the language is before us. But what will you do with the portion of ground you've been allotted? What will you do with the portion of strength you've been given? What will you do with the voice that you have? Will you fall in line and bear witness to the insanity or will you remember that God has given you a sword? Eleazar was one of David's mighty men. That scene in Second Samuel was amazing. The Philistines, the enemy of Israel, had mustered themselves to fight. And the scripture says that when the Philistines came to fight, the army of God retreated. But it said Eleazar stood his ground with his sword in his hand. And it said that he fought with no backup, with no one present. He fought until his arms grew weary, but he never put the sword down. The sword clung to his hand because he knew that as long as there was an enemy, he could not stop fighting. It is time when we witness People retreat in celebration and retreat for fear that what we face ahead is too daunting, too much, unbearable. Maybe, maybe it is time that we summon the Eleazar in each of us. Stand our ground. Don't put the sword down. When they find you dead, let them find you with the sword in your hand. Martin died with the sword in his hand. Harriet died with a sword in her hand. Sojourner died with a sword in her hand. Malcolm died with a sword in his hand. And I could count the names in a roll call of those but oh, when they left, they left with the sword in their hand, not sheathed, but unsheathed. Because why? They knew they were not saved, and they still had to fight. Our hope is not in man-made governments constructed by people with no conscience. Our hope is not in flawed structures that pretend at democracy but are not democratic. Our hope is in one another. If this past four years has taught us nothing, It has revealed one thing, don't put your sword down. Be ready, why? Because there's someone hungry tonight wanting to know where your sword is. There's someone homeless tonight wanting to know where your sword is. There's someone being brutalized right now wanting to know where your sword is. There is somebody who is sick in a hospital wanting to know where your sword is. There are brothers and sisters who are falsely incarcerated wanting to know where your sword is. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Because we are not saved. The harvest has passed. The summer is gone. And for countless people in this country, white, black, Latino, Asian, no matter who occupies that seat, nothing has changed. What will we do? God is waiting for us not to wake up, but to come alive, to come alive the future of this world, God has trusted us to bring about a new day so that we can move from mourning to mourning, so that we can move from grieving to glory, so that we can move from agony. To transformation. And today, as you watch this, and we may have a new president, do not forget we are still not saved. And how will that come about? Grab your sword, your strength your decency, your dignity, your love, and stand your ground. If everyone else around you retreats and says, the task is too much, the world is too big, the pain is too great, what can I do? Stand your ground, hold your sword. Over 30 years ago, as a freshman at Morehouse College, I received a poem, and I end with these words. I pray that these words have sparked something in you, have awakened something in you, so we can be about the work of healing and restoring, but also naming and fighting. We are not here to play, to dream, to drift. We have hard work to do and loads to lift. Shun not the struggle, for it is God's gift. Be strong, my brother. Be strong, my sister, because the world, creation, is waiting for you, for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, and we, are not yet saved. But if a new day is going to come, it is in our hands. Our forefathers and foremothers sung about it. The day will come when we put our hands to the plow. The day will come where we can truly say in our living, in our breathing, not in our dying, in our living, in our breathing, in our loving, in our serving, we will be able to say like they said, I looked at my hands and my hands look new. I looked at my feet and they did too. And before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave and go on and be free. We got work to do. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Peace and blessings. support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts thank you again and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future